Welcome to a bonus episode of United Ireland, where we're going to be talking about something that we planned to do for ages, actually. This is our Clubbing is Culture episode, um, made even more pertinent by the fact that on Monday of this week, uh, the Department of Justice and Minister Helen McEntee unveiled kind of some of their intentions to extend pub and club opening hours. Uh, this is on the back of a long standing conversation about the liberalisation of licensing laws in Ireland, which has evolved uh, really far beyond that, um, thanks in part to kind of different kind of discourse in society, more mature discourse, I suppose, about uh, culture at night, about the value of dance floors and uh, clubs, um, about the nighttime economy, about offerings for tourists um, and about creating a, a city that is vibrant and doesn't shut down at half two in the morning at night, really. Um, this also kind of comes on the back of the establishment of the nighttime economy task force, uh, you know, the proposed pilots for um, nighttime mayors in cities such as Cork and Dublin um, and people kind of taking instruction from what has happened elsewhere, like in Amsterdam with their nightmare there and with Amy LeMay in London and the agent of change stuff and just like a more mature, developed conversation around it. Also, um, Andrea has been working an awful lot in this space uh, be that with uh, her uh, night no more hotels, um, which was a kind of dinner and a show and club vibes, uh, in response to uh, overdevelopment, kind of and the er- the eradication of creative and cultural spaces. So that's the other kind of part of this. Obviously, uh, Dublin in particular has lost um, so many clubs, so many dance floors. Um, the kind of big uh, spaces being the ones that people know, the Tivoli and Francis Street, uh, Hanger and Andrews Lane, formerly Andrews Lane Theatre, Bernard Shaw and so on, as well as a bunch of other stuff. So, and then it becoming increasingly kind of difficult to actually make uh, running a club a viable economic thing. And then recently, Andre launched a documentary called Clubbing as Culture in conjunction with No More Hotels, Think House and Algorithm. And all of this discourse, along with the long-standing campaigning of Give Us the Night, has seemed to coalesce a little bit. And at least now we know what will potentially, uh, what it does take to potentially change licensing laws in Ireland, which is a global pandemic that decimates an industry. But it's a very, very interesting time uh, for what was once kind of a pipe dream or just the political system not moving uh, to now things actually ticking along and not for want of the pressure, lobbying, uh, conversations, publicity, campaigning um, and advocacy that's happening all around the place. Um, Andrea, you always say clubbing is culture. Um, I want you to give me some insight into the background of this documentary uh, that you made, which I'm in. (laughs) Go team. Uh, Well, Firstly, to say, I always approach things in my own way, let's say, and sometimes feel bad that I'm not very good at like writing submissions or doing uh, like long proposals or campaigning in that way. And like, I suppose that came from that was justified after the eighth um, 
not justified, but like there was like a validation that you can do things your own way. And I've always believed clubbing is culture and watching Give Us a Night do phenomenal work and campaigning. I was like, I re- like, obviously, this is something I really support and want to do something as part of it. But I'm not I'm not a lobbyer. I'm not a protester, blah, blah, blah. So it was always going to be in my own way. Um, and uh, myself and Dave, uh, my disco husband, set up No More Hotels as a protest party. So we wanted to get lit to the tit but we also wanted to have a message behind it that was highlighting what we were losing and the importance of that and and also trying to highlight the different ways that you could try and make clubbing economically viable within our crap licensing laws that if you got people into a club early give them something to do as opposed to maybe just having a, a black box with a dj playing that there had maybe thinking outside the black box huh? um, could be a way to make it more economically viable, get people into the club earlier, get them drinking in a normal way as opposed to hoofing last orders in, all that kind of thing. So that was the club night. And then basically uh, Culture and I came along and where better to highlight the fact that clubbing is in fact culture as on a night that is dedicated to culture. Um, so Dave works in Thinkcase and had this idea of projecting uh, light stuff onto uh, the buildings of hotels and student accommodation where clubs used to be. And he uh, talked to Thinkcase and got Algorithm on board who are amazing at light projections and light mapping and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we were... Uh, that was the plan. It was like, we'll make uh, make our statement. Clubbing is culture, part of culture night. And then as we were going to document that, obviously, so we had a video of it. It was like, why don't we make a little mini doc to support the message and get loads of really smart, uh, clever oracles on board, Una. Uh, and they weren't available, so I was drafted <laughs> in. So why don't we get them to... to like basically I was like okay if this whole stuff comes around my mom is looking at this going sure clubbing isn't like worth saving it's just loads of people going out getting messy and wrecking the place and like that's not culture Andrea and it was based on my mom being just like disregarding clubbing as something that was valuable and I like so much is always done with the clubbing community and you've got them on board already like everyone who's in the clubbing community is like yeah we want clubbing but how do you bring it outside of that and make it a bit more mainstream and and target people like my mother who just completely didn't get it so it's like okay we need to explain the thought process behind it the value behind it and then trying and target it at audiences who are not clubbers and uh, explain the importance of it um and then so we got yourself philly mcmahon from this is pop baby and i I, he was really interesting obviously from he runs a theater company but most of his stuff is uh not most of his stuff a lot of his stuff is informed by nightclubbing he's met people on the dance floor etc etc mona lisa who set up girl crew um John Mangrew, who's a design, a fashion designer and like a, an ultimate club kid, not a club kid, but like he, his identity is so, um, I suppose, informed by clubbing and uh, the freedom that clubs allow you to be who you want to be, uh, whisking his hair back and forth in his long ponytail and uh, Hazel Chu, who is the nightmare. Um, Lord Mayor. Lord Mayor. <laughs> 
<laughs> projecting that onto her, Hazel. Yeah. You're welcome. Congratulations uh, on your new job, Hazel. Um, but yeah, I suppose I was most interested in talking to you, I suppose, about why clubbing was important. And like, obviously, I'm always top line of like, yeah, it's clubbing because it's gas and I love it. But like, I like people who are in the documentary brought it to the next level. So why would you like, maybe we could look at why, what you said in the documentary and why you think clubbing is culture? Well, I guess um, I never even thought to frame clubbing in a particular way to this is I suppose a real big difference between me and you in a way like you you think about framing things um in a different kind of way whereas I kind of take take things as a given and then get pissed off that other people aren't on my wavelength so I think your tactic uh, works slightly better although my mine has given me a job as an opinion columnist for um uh, a long time so th- those are two two different things but I guess for me like um having run clubs club nights um both in kind of licensed venues and in warehouse was well, DJ in a warehouse uh rave I guess you could call it for a good while um and having run the kind of you know things that are very much rooted I suppose in when I was in community but that community being like my friends and then the magic of people who aren't your friends turning up um in spy or uh the lower deck or you know the warehouse stuff myself and rage and vicky curtis did in um be that in uh I'm trying to remember the places <laughs> the warehouse of Baggett Street we did another one uh bitches be crazy uh Vicky and Katie Ganan uh ran that with me as the kind of resident DJ in the um North Inner City warehouse space and also another party then warehouse space in the Liberties um during the recession uh very much on Thursday night was Soundcheck and in, in Spy, which ran for two years. Um, and that was very much, you know, these were kind of life preserves, really, you know, kind of keeping us going in the in the grimness. Um, and really rooted, I suppose, my peer group in Dublin in a different way. A lot of the stuff that we were doing, uh, we did another club night down in in Lower Deck, Bellowbarkle Dive. A lot of it was about queer female spaces um alternative stuff good music uh was never anything to do with making a living or you know making money or anything it was to do with putting something on that people would come to and that would be something that we would enjoy um and that's what those things were so they were extraordinarily important at that time you know very liberated in a way um um, but I suppose there's a lot to be said, like that people are always like, oh, it's just somewhere to like uh, have fun, let your hair down as if that's a secondary thing. And that's like that should be our goal. And like oh, but that, also yeah. the importance of the release that we're really feeling right now when we lack it, when we don't have a way to release. But also then the political forces of bringing people together who can bring about change. So it's it's totally. And that's always been like and I you're so right, like that, you know, we we're talking about it on the on the Sunday Soothe, like we really can feel how the, the the damage actually not having pleasure and release and connection with people causes, you know, and there's been 
various kind of touchstones for me over the years from when I first started going out to clubs as a teenager, you know, the tail end of the kitchen and switch and things like that. And then onto like backlash, you know, the kabugi dubstep nights for me were, were the last, maybe one of the final moments of discovery, you know, where, where you could authentically discover a new music genre in a club like walk in and go what is that you know that can't really happen now because of the internet but you know these um you know and then going on to the pod red box like all of the you know clubbing is such so dominant in in the landscape of of my life um and really feeling the discontent and the anger um about those things being eroded Clubs like um, that kept people going, you know, in really dark times around the recession, like Mother, um, you know, I was just saying to my mate the other day, I was like, I want to go, but obviously the the place where it was is is gone now, it's turned into the Hard Rock Hotel, which brilliantly opened right before the pandemic, which I enjoyed. But, um, you know, what being in this tiny, tiny basement room and... Um, the bang of chicken that would come onto the dance floor when the boys would finish their shift in Crackbird across the lane. Um, and and feeling so, like it was really ca- kept everyone going. Like, I suppose for me, I come at it more from, from, a, from the gay community's perspective or queer or queer female um, perspective and how so much of, you know, I can really track my life uh, by by the clubs that came and went. Oh yeah, but, but just sorry, just to go back to like the anger and stuff around those spaces being eroded. Like I know that we're all struggling with you know getting a release now, but like I was really struggling with that before the pandemic. The way Dublin was going, like just not having cool shit a lot of the time to be at stuff that was in you know random spaces, stuff that maybe wasn't fully legal or licensed or whatever, you know. Um, stuff that was thrilling and unexpected and sophisticated, you know, because of the economics of the city, because of the particular ideology of the government um, and the councils by proxy, creating a system where that just didn't fucking matter. You know, that didn't matter to the to the wider forces. And that was so distressing, actually, because that really matters to me and my friends and being squeezed out of that became intolerable really which is why I started you know leaving Ireland for for much longer periods and 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 being in Berlin for a few months of the year um was it in large part because you could actually engage in the therapeutic and very necessary activity of going out late at night or early in the morning um and it's it's mad to think that, you know, someone would basically like take themselves off for a couple of months, a year, a few months a year to actually ha- have that along with with, you know, loads of other things. But that is the reality. And um, I think, you know, my hope in many ways, which sounds really like. I don't know, it sounds very nihilistic or not anarchic but I don't know I sometimes worry that I think like this in a way because you can kind of sound like Steve Bannon or something that it's like you know maybe the pandemic will just collapse everything and we can get some things back because it does seem that the contemporary 
uh, mode of capitalism just does not provide for pleasure and spontaneity um, and DIY stuff and people filling kind of disused spaces. So those thoughts were kind of crossing my mind. But I'm also kind of maybe a bit more worried now because we're seeing, you know, the divide in society open up with regards to people who've stacked up savings and those who haven't. And I worry about the kind of development um, that's going to happen where the people who will have access to buying buildings or starting businesses, are they going to be the people who are the most radical or interested in the most stuff or the edgiest or, you know, I don't think so maybe because certainly in, in recent years, the development in Dublin has not been like that. It's been very suburban, bland, fucking you know i love a good cocktail and i love a nice bar um i'm not i don't think either of those things were being provided for um with regards to what was opening up it was very boring and so i i I hope that something now happens and i think with regards to this new uh licensing structures um you know, and and introducing a nightclub license and stuff, I really hope it becomes a viable economic uh, model. It becomes a viable livelihood for people to pursue and that it just becomes a situation where, you know, there's a generation of of young people in Ireland who I think would love to open, you know, a bar or a club, but it's just really difficult, you know, financially, um, bureaucratically, legally, and, you know, so this is why you have all these people opening cafes, you know, and, and that's fab as well. But I want, you know, to walk down a street and see little hole in the wall club vibes and warehouse parties. And, you know, one of the most devastating things that happened to the city, in my opinion, um, you know, after when the recession kind of gave rise to all this, like these little roses grown between the concrete vibes um, and, and, and people people operating in the space between uh, and when that was shut down because um you know commercial property and retail and 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 landlordism uh you know from global hedge funds and vulture funds and stuff like that came came to the fore again and and just cemented over that one of the most devastating consequences of that i think was was the the clo- the end of squat city up in you know near grange gorman and that was such an amazing almost like utopian space to walk into and what it showed was how important it is to have spaces that are genuinely alternative that are not commercialized that are actually radical spaces that show a different way of living not just a different way of spending a night out and I would love for that to be anything like that to be facilitated um yes legislation is super important and and this this these draft plans could be really radical you know they could fucking change the nature of of going out and who gets to open a place and you know whose whose dad isn't a billionaire which is a lot of the time what's going on in dublin so i think that would be amazing i also want to see you know stuff operating outside of officialdom outside of the lines that are drawn uh by government um, and that has become increasingly difficult. It's become increasingly difficult to, you know, pandemic aside, to do stuff that is outside of the parameters of, you know, the quote unquote law, you know, the stuff that is more renegade, um, 
you know, you you can call it illegal raves or whatever, like, and I'm not talking about ones that are breaking restrictions. I'm talking, you know, outside of pandemic time. I want to see that kind of stuff. I, I you know, and um, I have a lot of hope for the this new st- legislation that's coming down the down the line. I'd also love to see what what operates outside of that. Uh, you know, to to give to give a real you know, intrigue and edge and, and sense of discovery to a place. Sorry, that was a really fucking long answer. Sorry, Andrea. That was perfect. <laughs> I'm delighted. Um, but you but were I- on to all the parties, right? About their their um, their their attitude towards clubbing. Yeah, I suppose we as we're we know the nighttime economy task force is going, but we wanted to delve in and see like has there been thought put into it from the parties? Do they give a shit or what is their stance? I suppose and where are they campaigning behind the nighttime economy or where are they? So uh, yeah, so first up is Labour. Um, they are um, they've got key focuses. Uh, they want to identify how to financially support non-commercial or semi-commercial late night cultural and social venues. Um, identify cultural and social evening open spaces for all ages. And that came through actually in a couple of them, Sock Dems and Labour um, talking about like including teenagers. And because obviously this is not just about nightclubs and, and drinking. It, the, it's about the whole, what we do at our uh, towns and cities at nighttime. Uh, they want to balance all the above, ensuring public safety and noise control. That is the main issue that's coming back is noise control and people saying, well, if I live in a city like, and I, I, I can't really, like, obviously I understand if you live in a city, you want to be able to live and not be in the middle of a nightclub. But like a city by its very nature, the town is the city centre and you're kind of buying into hustle and bustle. Like I used to live over the Dragon and it was, it became calming to me to hear the clinking of glasses and the music and everything, cause whatever, because I bought into that lifestyle, I suppose. I'm not saying you have to be like, into noise to live in a city but you kind of do like um consider how to introduce 24 public transport and consider what changes are required to the current licensing system to allow clubs and pubs to extend uh, their licenses um and also uh calling for a local election manifesto but also uh rebecca moynihan did a, a speech in the iraq last night and she was to get to your point in a calling for pop-up club nights and raves to be facilitated within that scope so mm-hmm. i think there is she she was saying that so um and also when did we ever think that there would be people in, in the doll going there's nothing wrong with a party it's like yes rebecca get it girl um so yeah labor are are, are pushing forward with uh policies and uh, i think ivana batik is really going for the legislative side of it um which is great so that came from maria sherlock marie sherlock Sinn Féin. Can I just uh, say one thing there, Andre, yeah. just on the noise pollution, like that's such an interesting thing. Obviously, there's been loads of, um, you know, famously the the long uh, case that Frank McDonald had in Temple Bar. Um, and there's, there's and um, Mannix Flynn was going, saying all sorts of ridiculous stuff about uh, noise on like Camden Street and, and around the show and stuff like that. Like, you know, I think there has been there is a bit of a movement in the conversation around the agent of change stuff, like in the UK, where if you are moving into a particular area or developing a particular area, you are responsible for the change that's taking place. So, for example, if you build an, a you know 
an apartment block of seven apartments behind beside a club or a pub that's been in that community for ages, it's up to you to soundproof your building, you know, not for the other people to turn the sound down. So there needs to be a shift there because what that does, if you don't do that, you place these huge economic um expense huge financial stress and expenses onto like music venues in particular so so that kind of noise pollution thing you know you, you the people who are building in a place that is noisy need to take that con- those considerations into their own design you know rather than the their their tenants yeah. you know ringing the cops a year later <laughs> but also if you are going to buy like a uh, this is a side note. Somebody bought a ha- an apartment underneath me on Georgia Street and then tried to shut down the dragon because it was too noisy. It's like you bought an you apartment bought, yeah. over a club, like cop on. Get real, um, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I had one or two parties at the time, so he absolutely hated me. Only one or two. Just one or two. Um, so then Fintan, Warfield and Sinn Féin came back and they uh, produced uh, a document ahead of a uh, general election with a six pa- page six with a statement on the nightlife and why they think it's important, um, as well as acknowledging the myriad of barriers that Irish nightlife faces, which you can have a look at their culture, arts, heritage, Sinn Féin, general election 20. Um, so they have pushed hard for committee hearings on the issue, which eventually included public hearings with DCC, Department of Justice, Department of Culture, stakeholders, give us the night, as well as a selection of promoters, blah, 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 just blah, blah, blah policy. Um, and they are also looking for protecting consumers and small businesses from extortionate premiums, increasing transparency, uh, this in terms of insurance, because insurance and club night is a big thing, uh, the transparency in setting of premiums, uh, establishing a guard at insurance fraud unit, controlling the cost of claims. Um, and yeah, because nightlife in our cities is under threat from rising insurance costs. So yeah, that's is a thought out approach. That's an interesting approach. Yeah. Like a real kind of systems approach, um, to the things that impede stuff. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Finnegale. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite one for sure. Um, so got a gas email. That's bad. So Kieran Cannon, uh, eventually got back to me and said the, the, basis of the email is telling the government line that we had that the program for government which was negotiated by Fine Gael, uh, contains a significant commitment to the protection of our nighttime culture specifically a committed to the establishment of the nighttime economy task force which was pushed for obviously by different parties um but yeah blah 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 it's all very like there's no policy, no thoughts, no whatever. It's like- I did say Josepha Monaghan held a symposium in April 2019 to investigate the possibility of creative nightlife and cultural activity after hours. Yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't yeah. know. I just think that that like the, the you know that already exists, like creative night. Anyway, anyway, whatever. Josepha Monaghan uh, did that. Yeah. Um, so they're also planning to modernize our licensing laws and application processes to ensure that we can have an exciting and vibrant nightlife in our towns and cities. Uh, and they met with Give Us the Night, um, which was great. And uh, as Irish DJ Sunil Sharp put it, when we first started campaigning for more to be done for nighttime culture in Ireland, we were 30 years younger than the politicians we were trying to make contact with. But now we've got a bit older and they've got a bit younger. So they get it. They understand it, what is needed. So you're just quoting Sunil on that one, brilliant. But then my best bit, uh, 
of the whole thing is like, you might say we are all clovers. Whenever I see Finnegal, that's definitely what I might Number say. One. So there's um, not actually anything in there uh, really. Apart- well, there is obviously the um, Josepha Madigan stuff and the uh, Helen McEntee modernizing the licensing laws. But I just wanted to do a side story in that because <laughs> when there was the general election coming up, obviously, or no, it wasn't the general election, it was the council local elections. Uh, people were knocking at the door and everyone who knocked at the door, I obviously was like, yeah, nighttime economy, nighttime economy, nighttime economy. And one of them was like, yeah, that's really interesting. Do you mind if I take your number? Uh, that's definitely something I want to lean into. And I was like, yeah, of course, took my number. And then when Josepha was about to come out with the launching of the symposium or something, he texted me, he's like, would you mind writing uh, a couple of lines on what you feel is we should be talking about? I was like, um, this is a bit weird. Like I literally met you at the door for 10 minutes. And he's like, yeah, just blah, blah, blah. So I literally wrote his statement that was then used. Who was it? Was it Fine Gaylor? Yeah. Oh my God. Getting constituents to do your actual homework. Wow. They They're do awesome. love they do love a bit of outsourcing and privatization, don't they? That's like the most uh, <laughs> But it's been but like I was obviously like, yeah, grand. If I can have what I want to say in his mouth grand, I'll do it. But like that's in bits. Did he say my constituent Andrea Horan? No. Broke? Oh my god. <laughs> who who was it? Name and shame. I'm, I'm not gonna say it. Well, we can just look up com- Finnegal councillors in your constituency and figure it out. <laughs> Uh, then Social Democrats Gary Gannon and uh, Councillor Cata Driscoll got back um, they uh, Cata Driscoll is the chair of the DCC Arts and Culture Strategic Policy Committee uh, very supportive of the National Working Group and DCC Nighttime Economy Subcommittee uh, for the Social Democrats we'd like to see an opening up of the city in the evenings to everyone especially families uh, vacant properties across the city, which could be used as exhibition spaces, music venues, dance performances, open mic, comedy, poetry, and, and artist workspace. In the past, most of these events were in pubs and clubs. We don't want to get rid of those venues. Uh, we're impa- concerned about the impact clubs having on nightclubs, uh, but would call for more variety in what we can do in a lively city centre. Completely agree. Uh, we need to make it accessible with good public transport and public lighting, which will bring people in for the culture. They'll stay for the good food and spend money locally. Uh, the centre should not solely be focused on tourists, but provide a rich variety of music, art, culture events for all of us to enjoy. Um, oh my God, uh, this person is totally on my wavelength, Cato Driscoll. I'm just reading this line here saying, in the next few years, this from this is amazing to get a party response like this. In the next few years, maybe we'll see car parks used for raving, poetry jams, public squares, dance classes and former office spaces, evening yoga on the GA pitch. We shouldn't have to fly to Berlin to enjoy a great clubbing experience. <laughs> That's yeah. a great response from the Sock Dams, I think. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? It is. Yeah, I think there are three opportunities they want to take advantage of. The Nighttime Ta- Economy Task Force pilot scheme. Uh, they were agreed at our Arts SPC meeting this morning when it was brought up by Councillor Claire Byrne. The Dublin City Development Plan is being drafted, so we need the infrastructure to underpin our cultural strategy, um, going into detail on the different elements, and an arts and cultural strategy for reopening the post uh, city post-COVID. So I'm setting up a group to draft this strategy with stakeholders from different cultural disciplines on the Arts SPC. So, uh, yeah, great. What about F- Fianna Fáil? Fianna Fáil... Like the one thing I came back from this dive into policy uh, stances from the parties was just a different way of doing politics. You have like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael who just towed this 
banal party line and then the other parties who were like and then we want lighting and we want this and we want that and blah blah it was just so funny to see the differences I think uh, the difference is Andrea like because this is such an amazing exercise to do like I think the difference that I'm seeing from your from the work that you've got back from all the parties is like Finnefall and Finnegal are quite vague they're broad you know they're kind of just like repeating the kind of pat discourse they've heard from elsewhere that is just kind of feeding into their policy. Now, obviously, Helen McEntee is doing the work on licensing laws, and that's great. But when you look at the other parties, like the specifics, they're talking yeah. they're talking about the initiatives and... Deliverables. Yeah, totally. And also that relate to the issue as opposed to that are just like, that are relate really specifically to the issue like like repurposing space or you know accessibility or lighting or things like that as opposed to just like thematic words you know we need a vibrant blah 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 you know um you know the kind of yeah, yeah it's it's just like i just feel like the responses from finnegal and finnefall show they don't indicate to me that they're actually thinking about the issue they just indicate that they're kind of subsuming the rhetoric around it and repackaging that as something that may or may not get done yeah so Fianna Fáil, Neve Smith um we know that COVID-19 has been detrimental to the nighttime economy uh, so they the program for government again specifically identified the impact of social distancing and public health measures uh, in it government made a number of commitments to work with stakeholders to develop innovative approaches to create a vibrant diverse and sustainable nighttime economy specifically we committed to so these are all things that were done by the program for government which was like a communal thing so established in the first 30 days of government and nighttime economy task force like Fianna Fáil were definitely not behind pushing for that conduct a full review of regulations and policy framework governing our nighttime culture including the staggering of trading hours for pubs late bars modernize our licensing laws support the establishment of the nighttime culture merit proposed for dublin and cork and examine the establishment of local committees to advance and improve our nighttime entertainment and create it's already doing happening like. happening yeah as you're aware the nighttime economy task force was established on da, 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 da. Uh, so tells us what the task force is doing thank you very much um and then there's a range of supports across several departments have been established for hard hit sectors. Not really anything progressive there. The funding, uh, what's the funding will comprise 270 million in current expenditure in capital investment reflects an acknowledgement by government of the devastating impact of COVID-19 restrictions have had on this. So that's the kind of COVID thing, not, uh, looking forward into what could happen. Mm. And what about the greenies? The Greens, why do I not have that in there? I do have an amazing response from the Greens. Uh, let me just, sorry, I can't believe I didn't put that well, in. Well, in the, in the meantime, while you, while you find that Green response, um, I think this is re- what it really strikes me as, you know, if 10 years ago or eight years ago or whatever, you asked all the government parties um, their position on this, I just don't think... It, it like they would even have a variety of responses or answers or anything like it goes to show the level of kind of activism and discourse and people writing about stuff people lobbying um you know and also generational shift in politicians like the likes of Rebecca Moynihan and Fintan Warfield and Claire Byrne in the Greens um and Cata Driscoll there and young, yeah and just like you can really see that that people are thinking about it. I mean, obviously I have 
I know you always say that I'm negative, uh, Andrea, but I have like concerns about how, you know, something that is actually about liberation and pleasure and hedonism could become, you know, just subsumed into this, you know, culture of regulation and, you know, become like packaged as a product. So I have concerns about that. So, but I, I want the structures to be, you know, liberalized around licensing so that people can do whatever they want. People should be able to do whatever they want and not just a particular experience or whatever. So what are the greenies saying? Uh, interesting, interestingly, though, on that point, Una, um, from conversations I've had with Give Us a Night, the feedback has often been that the more women who've been in uh, as this has gone along, the more receptive things have been and the faster things have moved. So it really does go to show the importance of women in politics. And like, if you look at all the people who are pushing this forward, they're, they're all women. And mm. the new, the new pol- like I know we talk about new politics, there's the new politics, but also the new politics of equity of uh, women being in there and having an empathetic approach, having an approach that that values pleasure as opposed to just big swinging dicks trying to make more money. Yeah, and that gets the importance of like nights out with your pals and stuff. Yeah, well, you know, obviously, yeah, I th- yeah, that is it. That is really interesting. I mean, maybe it just speaks to a broader thing of like it does seem that the younger female politicians are and not just necessarily younger female politicians but it does seem that they kind of do more generally you know they actually kind of get the get yeah, the policy over the line hot air yeah they're not peacocking oh, well, we're, we're around the place going to be doing something about that yeah but what uh so claire came back to me uh from claire Byrne from the green party uh, they want to establish in the first 30 days government a nighttime economy task force, uh, co- conduct a full review of the regulations and policy framework governing our nighttime culture at national and local level, including the staggering of trading hours, modernize local laws and application processes, and support the establishment of the nighttime culture merits report. That's word for word the Fianna Fall, and it was the Green Party who put this forward, and examine the establishment of local committees to advance and improve our nighttime entertainment and creative offerings in other urban areas. Yeah. It's not It's not like uh, Fianna Fall to copy someone else's home work <laughs> um the task force was established within 30 days and its membership comprised a wide range of stakeholders from across the relevant sectors including hazel Chis, lord mayor Neil sharp who we thought was an important voice to have at the table that given that give us and i have been campaigning on this for years each of the items above are being discussed in subcommittees established for each topic as part of the overall task force that has been working really well to date and they are due to publish their report and recommendations in March. This is in addition to the range of financial supports and stimulus packages, including 50 million allocation for live entertainment in Budget 21, increased funding for the Arts Council, uh, 5 million pilot live performance support scheme, 1.7 million music industry stimulus package, valuable horizontal supports such as CRSS and CEBAS, benefits the arts tourism and hospitality sectors and 230k for the expansion of mind and creative minds uh, in addition to pulp and ewss these measures combined to help covid um, other sections in the program for government that are relevant to the nighttime economy that were included by the green party are examining agent to change initiatives whereby existing cultural space have to be taken into account when building is taking place support measures to increase the provision of affordable workspaces for artists and creative practitioners examine meanwhile use legislation for vacant buildings with a view to its potential application in ireland um, and then at a dublin city council level the green party are uh have the following commitments into the Dublin Agreement to develop multi-purpose accessible venues to accommodate both daytime and nighttime cultural and creative activities, to strengthen the cultural and creative provisions and objectives in our local development plans, 
uh, and will support our public libraries, will protect and enhance our nighttime culture by appointing a night star for the city and develop a Dublin cultural manifesto. We've agreed a motion to establish a nightmare for Dublin, which was proposed by me, Claire Byrne. Uh, we've established a cross SPC working group on tourism, city markets and nighttime economy with members from both the economic SPC and the arts and culture SPC, which includes myself, Donna Cooney, Sunil Sharp, representatives from IBEC, Fall to Ireland. Sunil Sharp is just over, isn't he? Uh, we've met a few times and have had a series of presentations from international experts like Sasha Lord and Joe Cox Brand from Nighttime Economy Solutions. The working group is due to report our recommendations to the National Task Force to feed into the report in the coming weeks. Uh, we also proposed a special council meeting on the nighttime culture in response to the closure of the Shaw. We've tried twice, but unsuccessfully, to initi- initiative variations to the current development plan to hold the development of more hotels, as we see this as displacement of venues, clubs in particular. In favour of hotels is one of the root causes of the erosion of our nighttime culture, um, in addition to licensing laws, costs, etc. And the new development plan will also play a key role in the future of our nighttime culture, and the Green Party are working on their submissions. Uh, there's a lot of work going on in the space locally at the moment, but as a result of COVID, blah, 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 we need to start working together to identify what needs to be done to bring people into the city again, both during the day and especially at nighttime. It's ongoing between the SPCs and groups like Dublin Town, which I'm a board member of. Uh, after a few years, blah, 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 campaigning on this politically, we're now seeing some positive energy behind it from a poly- policy perspective, which is exciting. It's taken a pandemic to see real action. And arguably, and arguably having the Green Party in government nationally and locally, but we can't waste a good crisis. And I think we'll see real positive changes now as we plan for a post-COVID city. Well, there you go. <laughs> Claire <laughs> is on top of it and has been for many years. Um, and also, uh, just let me know that I ha- just had the following motion agreed at the Dublin City Council Arts Strategic Policy Committee uh, that... It, the, the committee agrees to write to the chair of the National Task Force to request that Dublin be included as a super, suitable pilot as part of the proposed nighttime economy pilot scheme, uh, to engage a suitable organisation to develop a nighttime economy strategy for Dublin City, to progress the creation of the nightmare for Dublin City as agreed by the Council in 2020, and to work to include policy objectives in the next development plan that will ensure the creation of vibrant, diverse and sustainable nighttime culture and economy for Dublin. Mm. Cool. Yeah, that's a really interesting political shift across the board, I think, uh, the way you went to all those parties and got their responses. You can really tell, um, you know, when they're side by side, who's actually thinking about the issue and interested authentically in addressing it and who's just kind of repeating pot stuff that other people have done um, or are maybe a little less connected to the issue. To the issue. Um, so, yeah, super interesting. And like... There's been loads of rumors swirling about what the, you know, change licensing laws mean. It's going to get a message going, oh, people are saying clubs are going to close at five or half four or whatever. It's like we, we're not going to know until that legislation is drafted. Um, it'll probably be drafted around the summer. You'd, you'd hope that the legislation would actually be in place by the time uh, clubs are opening back up again, uh, whenever that is, one imagines well, winter time. Has said that it won't be in place for that. That it will be uh, probably a year, and that we're they'll focus on getting them open first and then making the changes. Right. Okay. That's fair. Uh, well, I mean, I would prefer that would not be the case, but I think we're going to kind of prepare ourselves for a really boring, like mainstream media debate about what constitutes a club and why do people go out. So, well, interestingly, the uh, at least that's happening though for like yeah. not properly for the first fucking time. But interestingly, the journal did a poll uh, and it said, is it a good idea to extend pub and club opening hours? 37.9% of people said no. Like, 
they are the people who were like, Miss, you actually forgot to give us our homework. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know how, how robust a journal poll is. I know, but still. Uh, also, just to add that uh, yesterday, um, Labour made a statement about the nighttime economy changes must not solely focus on licensing and to include uh, fair pay for bar and club workers has to be included. So they're coming at it from a, a worker perspective as well. Cool. Um, yeah, let's see what happens. I want loads of clubs all the time, you know, with, with regard to liberi- liberalizing licensing or, or opening to whatever it's going to be five, six or whatever, like only some places will do that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not going to be, um, an option for a lot of people in terms of the the, the experience that they're offering their customers. Um, it's just that we need a diversity of places to go out to that serve, you know, loads of different cohorts of people um, that are accessible financially. And I think, again, key to livability in a city, we need to have fucking rent control and much lower rents because you can have all of the things the other things sorted but if people who are not out to make loads of money cannot afford to live in a city it's going to be boring and there won't be stuff happening or club nights being put on because those people will be living somewhere else so that is at the heart as i always say everyone has as much an ownership of a city or where they live as anybody else and it's not like the CEO of Dublin City Council doesn't have more right to the city than I do. I have an equal uh, set. I sh- and it should be represented that there is outlets for every single group of people to do what they want to do and not to be shamed and not to be uh, pleased or whatever, that we have to be accepting. And remember that just because something is happening doesn't mean you have to do it. <laughs> Key. Like, like what like a club is opening late why are you against it you don't have to go key thank you for that andre that has been very very illuminating um i know we had lots of conversations last year about when we'd be able to rave again i had predicted raving by june that now (laughs) you said march that's not gonna happen raving by june might happen in the uk you never know um there's a lot of plans after being announced home yeah so whenever whenever it happens let's hope that it's big small crazy late early daytime nighttime freewheeling pleasurable hedonistic holistic spiritual enjoyable freewheeling euphoric uh adventurous gorgeous beautiful safe deadly vibes and get rid of your headache because i've had a headache for three weeks and a club would do it (laughs) 